Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Welcome again this week to the Defender Bible Study. I'm Rick Morton, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to our continuing study of the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Um, over the last couple of months, we've been walking through the all of Mere Christianity. We're in currently in book four, uh, beginning in chapter seven of book four. That means that we're we're going to finish today chapters seven, eight, and nine, and we'll conclude next week in our our study of Mere Christianity. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about um, what Lewis begins in chapter seven. The the title of that chapter is Let's Pretend. And Lewis makes a a pretty interesting declaration. He says that that when we call on God uh, as our father, we're in a sense pretending to be sons of the Most High because because we've not yet been transformed. A couple of verses, a couple of places that he talks about in 1 Corinthians that point us to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 16, Paul says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. I urge you then to be imitators of me. Now, the reality of what it is that Lewis is pointing us to here in this verse in in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is that Paul was writing to a church that was, was in a lot of difficulty. They were in a pagan city. They were surrounded by a pagan culture that not only didn't reflect the gospel, but didn't reflect the things of God at all. Um, it wasn't a particularly Jewish culture. It wasn't a particularly religious culture, um, other than it was was full of cultic worship. And Paul had a lot of things that he had to set straight for uh, the church at Corinth. Uh, the Both of the letters that we have uh, in the New Testament that are preserved to the church at Corinth are, are corrective letters where Paul is, is talking to them about the the sins of the age and talking to them about about the things that are happening around them in culture. Um, But he's also talking to them about the things that are happening in the church and the way that the culture uh, inside the church isn't different from the culture outside the church. And so when he says, I don't write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children, Paul's writing with a great deal of affection there. He's saying, I love you. And, and I'm not saying these things to embarrass you or to diminish you, but I'm, but I'm writing these things because, because I see you as my children and, and because, and because I want the best for you. And then he, he, he gives them something which he repeats over in chapter 11. He gives them this idea of be imitators of me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, that sounds like one of the most arrogant statements that maybe we've ever seen in Scripture, that Paul, Paul is placing himself in the place of, of being the example, that Paul's putting himself to the head of the line. You know, and, and, and we, we read that and say, well, how dare he? Well, I don't think that's what Paul's doing at all. 
I think what Paul is saying to them is, I have a right view of the gospel. I understand where my help comes from. I understand my need for Christ and for his redemption. And in that, my need to grow to become more like Jesus, follow me. And Paul is really, you know, kind of telling them on some level that although they haven't really fully been transformed, that their lives, they're struggling in the condition of not being so different as they were before they came to Christ. Paul's trying to help them understand that they're completely different that there's there's no lack of difference in them as a matter of fact they've been declared righteous before God they've they've been declared free uh, before God because of what Christ has done and he wants them to understand that but they also are in the process of being transformed and and they are yet to be what they will ultimately become. We understand that our our sanctification is a process. It's something that God works out over time in us. And that until we're completely glorified, until we're in the presence of Jesus, until our earthly life is done, we don't really reach a place of completion. And so Lewis points out the fact that for a lot of us, that means that there are days where, where we're pretending as believers. We're leaning into a reality. We're claiming a reality about ourselves that may not be fully true about our current circumstance or about our current self, that we aspire to things in being like Jesus that we can't quite pull off. And so we, in some way, find ourselves being pretenders. Now, when you say that, that sounds really inherently negative. Um, in the world that we live in, there's a great emphasis placed on people being hypocrites in the church. Um, there's, there's a great um, emphasis among those outside the church that want to try to explain away the things of Christ by looking at Christians and saying, well, we're just playing a game. We're just playing a role. We're, we're, not, we're not really sincere. We're, we're not really who we say we are. We're just pretending. Well, I think that's not the kind of pretending Paul's talking about at all. The kind of pretending Paul's talking about is, is that, that Lewis points out is that part of what we do and part of what we know is that we have to lean into the transformation that God is doing in our lives, conforming us to, to be more like Jesus, and that we're to lean into that and, and strain toward it even, even when it doesn't necessarily mesh with our feelings even when it doesn't necessarily make sense to us. You see, I, I think in, in today's culture, we look around and we're so dominated by the talk of our feelings. And if it feels right, we have controversies going on around us that involve gender and sexuality and things, and they come back to questions of feeling. And I think what, what the Bible would remind us and, and what we see in light of the gospel is it doesn't matter how we feel about those things. There are certain things that God has declared that there are two genders. There is male and female. If I don't feel male or I don't feel female, it doesn't really matter because God's declared that I'm one or the other. There's a reality in the universe that supersedes my feelings. The fact is that who I marry and how I carry out a marriage relationship isn't about how I feel. It's not about the way that I feel intrinsically. It's about what, what God has said marriage is and what marriage is for. And so in this pretending, what we're talking about is not pretending to hide behind and to be a fraud. 
not to, to be a fraud, to pretend to be something that you're not. But this pretending is more the idea that, that in Christ, we are being transformed into the image of Christ progressively. But we need to claim our identity now that we are in Christ, that we are declared righteous before God, that there are things that God says that are that are true about us, that God God declares that we're right with Him, even though we continue to sin and we continue to fall and we continue to live in the midst of our brokenness as we're being progressively transformed and changed. And so we're not trying to be deceptive in our pretending. We're we're trying to act in such a way that we live into that thing that's true about us. I kind of think about it like this. When you, when you think about those, those of you that have been parents of, of small children, we know that our, our children go through phases where pretend play is a, is a big thing. We've talked about that on the Defender podcast recently about, about the need for play. Play is something that God has designed. And, and one of the ways that children learn is by playing. We were talking, one of my colleagues here has a, a, a young child. He just got a push car for his birthday. And she was telling me about the just unmitigated glee that her son has because he's riding in his little plastic car that has a handle on the back that, that mom and dad are able to push like a stroller. But he's a big boy now. He's not, he's not in a stroller. He's in a car. He's driving his own car. Oh. Why is he so happy about that? It's because he's imitating what mom and dad do. He's trying to be like them. He's, he's pretending to be like them. Well, do they chide him and tell him to grow up and, and, you know, do better and get ready to drive a car? No, like they're incredibly happy that he's happy and that he's playing, but he's also trying to figure out what it, what it looks like to be like his mom and dad and and to grow up to, to be like them and to kind of grow up in their image. Well, it's so much greater what you and I do with regard to our heavenly father. And so our pretending is part of our transformation into his image, but it's not done by our own power. It's done through the power of Christ himself changing us. And it is not a matter of us pretending and then straining and trying to do good things to become better, but it's about us becoming and being declared righteous. And it's about us becoming people who want to do good because because we're being transformed. But part of the equation in that is that we need to lean into and, and we need to, we need to claim that which we don't always do perfectly and that which we don't always feel perfectly. Lewis kind of uses another, another metaphor for this. He talks about that, that it's like the process of changing from being 10 soldiers into real men. And he points out the fact that the 10 part doesn't like it. <laughs> the 10 doesn't want to be stripped away. He points to 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, a great passage to help us to understand what he's talking about. It says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 
And so we lay claim to the fact that God's doing work in us that we can't always see, that God is in the process of, of transforming us and that he's allowing us to stay in the middle of this world where there is um, what doesn't feel to us as a light and momentary affliction, but which he, Paul's saying in the grand scheme of eternity, it's, it's a pretty light and momentary affliction no matter how bad the things are that we're walking through. Because truly what he's preparing us for we can't compare anything we know to. And, and that, that ultimately, we can't always see that. Because the things that we see, they're transient, Paul says. They come and go. They, they die. They wither. They change. They break. And we struggle to see the things that are eternal, the things that are bought and paid for through the work of Christ, the things that point to the truth of the good news of the gospel. And so part of Lewis's advice to us in this, in this pretending, in this leaning in, is that we surround ourselves with people who can help us, that we surround ourselves with people who can influence us well. It reminds me, and I've, I've said on this podcast before, um, Gordon McDonald talks about those three um, those three kinds of people that we should all have in our lives. He talks about very resourceful people that are that share the same calling that we have, that are that have the same view of the gospel that we have, but but are people that are farther along in the journey, and we want to we want to get close to them, and we want to hitch our wagon to them because we want to grow up to be like them. He talks about those very important people that we that we do life with, that we journey with. And, and some of those are people that we want to imitate because they're people that reflect the character of Christ. And so they share the same calling that we do. They share the same view of the gospel, but they're at about the same place in life that we are. And, and we encourage one another on, pray for one another, but we also are a source of encouragement and sometimes a source of a pattern and, and something to imitate for one another. McDonald then talks about very trainable people that we all ought to have somebody that's a that's a Timothy that's walking along with us, somebody who shares our calling and our passion for the gospel, but they're not they're not really quite where we are in life. And so we're able to invest in them, those things that we've learned and those things that God is continuing to grow us. We're replicating the pattern that Paul talks about in First Corinthians, that we're giving them an opportunity to be able to see our lives, not so that they glorify us, but that they can see the things that God has done in us and through us and can seek to pursue those things for themselves in their walk with Christ. But it's just vital for us to remember in all of this that, that God gives us the gift of each other and the gift of relationship, but that the true power for where our help comes from is not from one another. It's from, it's from God our Father, and the gospel is ultimately the source of power. So we should be thankful to others for their help, but we don't put our faith and trust in them because if we do, we're, we're going to be disappointed. They're going to fail us. But that we have this, this great truth that we can claim that, that you and I have the ability, um, have the, the reality that we have in Christ, we've put on Christ, that we've been given the mind of Christ, and that part of being born again, part of being made new, is the fact that we've been given a new nature and so even when we're not convinced that that new nature is there, even when we don't feel that that new nature is real, we press into it and we struggle to try to live it. 
but not like a self-help program or a 12-step program that we try to improve ourselves through our own efforts. It's that we press into Jesus, that we dig into the Word of God, that we dig in in prayer, that we dig into the truth of what it is that Christ is doing in us and through us, and that we hang on to the hope that one of these days, all of those things about us that don't reflect Christ and His glory are going to be they're going to be removed. 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit in order to be able to see this transformation. Well, then Lewis asks this really kind of crazy question. He says, well, then is Christianity easy, hard, or easy? And you can kind of sum it up in, in, first of all, he defines it and says that we have to remember that putting on Christ is not a part of Christianity. It's not one aspect of Christianity, but it's the whole thing. And, and so what that means is, is that, that being a Christian doesn't mean that we're gradually becoming good. That's not what our sanctification means, that we're gradually becoming good. Um, big error in thinking. If we think we can start with our unchanged self or our natural man and, and work out from there. And if we try, that usually ends up in one of two things. It, it usually ends up, um, people just like giving up because they don't have the power to do it or becoming legalistic and, and being really miserable at just trying to be good. And it's because in and of ourselves, we don't possess the power and we can't meet the demands of perfection. And so in that, the Christian way is both harder and easier than this. It's hard because Christ doesn't want all of us or doesn't want part of us. He wants all of us. He doesn't want us to be to get better and better and better all the time. What he wants is all of us. He wants to put us to death and he wants us to start over. This is a question of moving from death to life, not from disease to health. And so we see things like in Matthew 7, where Jesus says, in order to follow me, you have to take up your cross. That's pretty harsh. That's hard. It means we have to work. It means, it means we have to toil. It means, it means that, that there's serious business in following Jesus, but then in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, but my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because we don't carry that burden. Jesus does. And so while we struggle in the middle of this very present temporary affliction, we don't do it alone and we don't ultimately carry it. And so as hard as it is for us to hand over our whole selves to Christ, it's far easier than the alternative, which is trying to do it on our own because we can't really rehabilitate who we are. And for us, we have to remember that the battle against self is something that starts every day all over again before our feet hit the floor. And so that's where putting on Christ is the key, that rather than struggling against our nature in Christ, we need to let Christ do the work and, and let Him draw us into Him. Because that's ultimately the purpose. Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Jesus came and became a man that we might be counted among the sons of God. And so 
what does that mean for us? What it means is that we need to very in a, in a very not cliche sort of way cultivate the discipline of letting go and letting God. Pressing in and trying with all our might on one hand, but on the other hand, being submissive and, and, and putty in the, in the hands of a God who desires and will shape us. And that ultimately we know that we, we can't ever forget in all of this that God is our creator and he knows above all else what we should be. You know, we struggle many times with the idea of, you know, what does it look like to follow the will of God? How do I know the will of God? How do I know that I'm that I'm in the center of the will of God? How do I know that I'm not just walking out my own thoughts? Well, part of that is understanding that really understanding the sovereignty of God. Understanding that our responsibility in that is to is to pray and to search the word and to be among believers and to be in a place where God can reveal himself to us. But also trusting in the middle of things that when when things don't look good, when when we are at our worst, when we are sinful and in need of repentance, that God sees our progress and he sees the end and he knows above all else that we will be radically different from who we are now. The idea is that that we'll be as radically different in glory as we will be like radically different from today compared to the preborn child that we were in our mother's womb. You can't compare who you are or what you can do or what you know or what you're capable of to a preborn child. Same person, same essence, both are a person, but but one is is so much more developed and, and changed and capable. Well, even more so the person that we will become in glory. And, and so ultimately, God is determined, God is, is leaning into bringing about that transformation. Won't be completed this side of heaven. It won't be something that we, that we reach and we attain. 1 Peter 2, 20 and 21, for what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving the example that you might follow in his steps. We're in a process that is difficult and one that is even complicated by our own frailty and our own sin. But at the end of the day, we have the promise that God is the one who's going to bring us safely home, that he's the one that's going to affect the transformation in us. First Peter 4, 12 through 14, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. For if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In this life, we shouldn't be surprised when we suffer. We shouldn't be surprised when living 
in the presence of sin and and living with our own sin and our own consequences of sin that that we shouldn't be surprised when that results in difficulty and trial and pain. Peter says we ought to rejoice. <laughs> Because ultimately, that helps us to be able to understand what Christ suffered and what He suffered for. And that we get a glimpse of His glory when we suffer like that. When we feel that pain. So none of us are signing up for the pain train, right? Like we're not, we don't, we don't want that. But maybe according to Peter, we should, or at least a little bit. Because what it, what it helps us to see is it, is it helps us to see the depth of the Spirit of the glory of God. And it helps us to know, ultimately, that the Spirit of God rests upon us. And so I don't know where this catches you today, but, but for me it's a great reminder <laughs> that in the midst of parenting kids that have come from hard places, in the midst of, of working in sometimes things that are difficult and spiritually dark in the midst of sometimes not measuring up and not being all that that I feel like I need to be in order to be able to do those things well, that that's thinking about things wrongly. <laughs> that what I need to think about is who I am in Christ, about what it is that God seeks to accomplish in me about what it is that God wants me to become in becoming more like Jesus and that I need to press into that. And on the days when I don't feel it, I need to lean into it and pretend, not to pretend to perpetuate a falsehood, not to live behind a mask, but to live a reality that says that even when I don't feel it, I am who God says I am. And that I'm going to surround myself with people that are going to help me to imitate Jesus. And I'm going to surround myself with people that I'm going to help to imitate Jesus. I'm going to do that with my kids. I'm going to do that with my wife. I'm going to do that with my small group. I'm going to do that with my church. And in the middle of all that, that the Christian life is both hard and easy. And it's a paradox. And it's the most difficult thing that you and I will ever do, taking up our cross and following Jesus, but it also is something that Christ does with us and He makes our burden light. And that you and I have the promise that we will be delivered home completely. We won't see it this side of heaven. We'll continue to struggle, but we won't continue to struggle always because Christ will do His work. He'll do it in us. He'll do it in our children that follow Jesus. He'll do it in our neighbors that follow Jesus. He will do it. So I hope you're encouraged today that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus, that he will see us safely home. Uh, we at Lifeline are appreciative that you've come and join us for this Bible study again. We love you. We thank you. We're uh, we're grateful to get to do this with you, and I hope this has been some encouragement to you today. We'd love for you to reach out to us, love to hear about what you're thinking about this study, about C.S. Lewis, or, or, or anything else, really. And we'd love for you to join us along the way, and for us to be able to join you and your church in being able to serve the fatherless and to equip the body of Christ to do what we've been called out to do, which is to manifest the gospel, particularly to orphan and vulnerable children. So thanks again. We appreciate it. We'll see you right back here next week. 
Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music.